morning. Please stand and join us as we worship together as God's
Lord, we thank you for the truth of those words, that you alone can rescue and you alone can save. And Lord, as, as today we take a, a little bit of our time and our day to honor men and fathers, Lord, we, we thank you for the, the impact they have in our lives. But Lord, you are the great father, the one who can rescue and can save. And we are here to honor you and worship you. We love you, Lord, and thank you that we can gather today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you uh, take a seat, take a moment to greet one another. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an extra task. I know we can handle this. Seek out somebody. You'll find out if you know you're right or wrong on this. And say, Happy Father's Day. If they don't hit you, you probably succeeded in the process. But you can't sit down until you've said Happy Father's Day to somebody. And you can't sit down if you're a father and never got greeted. Well, it looks like everybody got greeted appropriately, we hope. Um, just a few announcements. Obviously, the bulletins uh, follow through those carefully and, uh, and make note of the different things that are going on in the life of the church. Uh, specifically, um, today, in between the services, during the Sunday school hours, WKFM, so make sure you uh, let your children be aware of that over in the uh, Christian Ed building. Uh, Thursday is the Lay Shepherds meeting. Uh, they're going to kind of a kickoff start, so keep that in mind. They'll be held here at the church. On July 21st, there'll be a baptism service. And if you're interested uh, in being baptized, see Pastor Wes and talk to him about it. And he'll help you walk through the process. But it's a great opportunity and a privilege. Uh, we celebrated as a district yesterday over 220-some-odd baptisms that occurred this year alone in our uh, the Wesleyan uh, Church, the district of the Western, uh, Western District. There you go, Wesleyan Church. And 220-plus uh, baptisms, and what a great thing. Um, of celebration. So July 21st, if you're interested. And our summer Sabbath uh, begins uh, June 30th and will go through August 10th. So next week, everything is as planned and normal. And then after that, we shift into one service and there will continue to be nursery and, and uh, children's church through that time. But our service will just have one service during those weeks uh, to give us a break, to really take time to be with family and to rest and worship uh, God more effectively. Um, through that time as well. At this time, we'd like to have um, the ushers come forward. And as they come forward, uh, we'll allow the children to go ahead and head on out to Children's Church as well. And I'm just going to offer a prayer. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have uh, to give back to you just a portion of how you have blessed our lives. And take these gifts, these monies, Lord. Use them to your glory and to your honor. In Christ's name, amen.
As we go to this time of prayer as a congregation, you are more than welcome to come up here at the altar if you feel like you would like to do that and just spend time up here in prayer and um, in lifting up the needs of our church and our fellow uh, friends around the world. So if you'd like to join up here, feel welcome to come on up and, and kneel at the altar as well. You can remain in your seats, of course. As we go to, to God in prayer, you'll note that in the bulletin there are just several concerns that you can bring before, before God. But a couple that aren't there that we should consider as we go to prayer. We want to lift up Wes, um, who's been battling a couple of kidney stones the last couple of days. So he's in the hospital. Just keep him in prayer and Cindy and their family. And, uh, and then the, the Coles as they return back from Texas um, from the memorial service for her father. Let's go to prayer. Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of gathering as a congregation, as people unified in your love, in a desire to worship you, to acknowledge, God, that under your wings we are cared for and safe, and you provide for our, our needs. Lord, what a, great, what a great privilege it is to know you, to feel your touch in our lives, your presence, and to be confident, Lord, that you will, you will care for our every need. And Lord, sometimes we get a little baffled in our inability to understand your ways. But even in those times, God, I pray that you would strengthen us. Give us faith where we are weak. Give us courage to trust in spite of the way things seem. That we know full well that you will work all things out and bring glory unto yourself. And you will comfort us and provide and heal and protect. Lord, as we think of our nation and all that is going on and the complexities of government and the issues that are facing the administration and the leaders, we lift them to you, Lord, right in the local communities, right on up through to our nation, our national government in, in D.C. And many of these men and women just choose to, to go on their own, Lord. And yet many, Lord, lean on you and trust in you. And so we pray for those, God, who are leaning and trusting you, that you might direct their paths, their minds, their thoughts. Help them to know how to give direction and to steer. And give them the courage to stand up, Lord, and be heard. 
And Lord, for those who just work on their own, Lord, and, and don't lean and trust in you, we know, God, that you can, can move in their hearts as well and bring decisions through them that will help our nation move forward in a proper pace, in a proper direction. So we lift our leaders worldwide and ask God that you would give direction. We think of uh, those who serve you here in the local churches, but Lord as well around the nation, around the world. Many are making sacrifices and, and are in harm's way. And others, Lord, are in wonderful settings and they can't believe they have the privilege of serving you in such ways. I pray, God, that in all cases, all would be encouraged because they are able to serve you and lead others to you. Fill them today. Encourage them today. If they're homesick or missing loved ones um, because they're far away, may they know, God, that being in the center of your will, um, may they know that that's where they belong and they will be comforted in that process and that, uh, that place in their lives at this time. Be with their families um, back home and encourage them as they're, uh, whether their parents or children are separated from each other in the process of missions and ministries, Lord. We ask that the families would sense and know your touch and your direction in their lives. Lord, we, we know there's just a whole list of different people who have physical needs within just this congregation alone. And we bring them before you. And we ask, God, that in these cases where there's much pain, where there is ongoing suffering and struggles, we ask for comfort. We ask for a touch of your almighty hand. And in the ability of your almighty hand that created the universe, may your touch be gentle and pure. And may through the power of your Holy Spirit flow through their bodies. And may they experience healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever their needs are, God. And more important than anything in that process, Lord, may they experience and know that you are with them that you are their encourager for those Lord who are watching and waiting may they trust in you may you comfort them may you encourage them Lord to know your peace a peace that surpasses all understanding may they lean unto you Lord, as we continue to worship, we pray that you would allow us to be reminded of so many that sacrifice their lives and serve in the armed forces around the world. And there's some, some dads that are separated from their families today. We lift them up to you. May they be encouraged as well. And may they know, and may each of our members of the armed forces, men and women, know that we appreciate the sacrifices they make physically, emotionally, um, to allow us to have the freedom to worship here and to help others experience the freedoms that you have blessed us with. And as we continue to worship now, Lord, we ask that you continue to direct our paths. Help us to remain focused on you. It's in Jesus' strong and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning is Luke 12, 22 through 31. I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel and to remain standing for the song following. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. 
and how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word.
Let's pray. Lord, I ask that um, you'll help me, that you will guide me, and, and Lord, as I've prepared, that you will continue to speak through me, that today, as we focus on you during this time, that we would see you, recognize you, hear you, and respond to only you. In Christ's name, amen. The hand of God. Um, it was really a lot of fun for me, actually, in the process of preparing and, and thinking through how God might want um, to express that phenomena of God's hand actively involved in our lives. And even yesterday, um, as I sat and had the privilege to be at, at the district conference, a message was being shared by different people at different times. There were several little mini messages. When you gather a bunch of pastors together, you're in a lot of trouble sometimes. And there was uh, just a lot of neat interaction going on. And the focus really was of that conference, not about all the business, although business had to happen. But the focus really was more about worshiping God as these men and women gathered together. And interestingly enough, one of the um, thoughts that was shared reminded me and made me, oh, that's great. I've got to think. And it just jogged my mind about the story of Peter. The story of Peter when um, Christ comes out and he's walking on water. And it's in Matthew chapter 14 and Verses 25 through 31 is where this little piece of the story kind of comes together. So I'd just like us to take a, a brief look at that. Matthew chapter 14. And I'm going to pick it up at about verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, Christ had to be far enough away that they didn't know who this was. You got to understand that. It wasn't like he was like 10 feet away or 5 feet away. Maybe there was mist, whatever. They couldn't recognize him. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Here comes Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. <laughs> Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus reached out his hand. The hand of God reaches out and catches Peter. And when I think about that story, there's a lot of little fun things that go on within that story. How did they get back to the boat? Did Jesus lift up Peter and carry him piggyback style? Did Jesus walk along and Peter swim along? Um, you know, how did they get back to the boat? I suspect, you know, Jesus reached down and saved him, implies to me he got him up. And they walked back to the boat. And Peter's probably downcast a little bit, thinking, oh, I failed miserably. And all these guys saw me sinking in the water. What an idiot. I did it again, my foot in my mouth kind of thing. And Jesus is saying most likely something like this, Peter you know, yeah, you sank in the water, the wind, you got distracted, you lost your focus. I was here, I was with you, and you lost sight of all that. But you know what? Just take a peek over there. There's about 11 or 12 or 10 or guys sitting in that boat thinking, you walked on water with Jesus. And such is our Christ. Even in the midst of our failures and our confusion, our struggles at times, he's able to create great things. For us, experiences that are beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. The hand of God in our lives is a very powerful, gentle, wonderful thing. 
And as we take a few moments today just to look at some of the ways that that might be experienced, and I know each of you could share similar experiences in your lives, how you saw God move. I bet Matt Webb and Bjorn could probably share some things that they just recently experienced over down south a few miles of here. And they just pulled in uh, late yesterday, what, early yesterday morning, 5 a.m. or whatever. But when we get out and go about God's business, we definitely experience his work in our lives. But even when we're not about God's business and we're just trying through the mundane routine things of life, God does things. And it's a fascinating thing to realize that God cares about every little detail of our lives. I read recently on Facebook, a friend of mine, um, she was catching a flight and she was heading out to um, come back home. And as she got on the plane and they sat there, the good old familiar, as they were taxiing out to get in line to take off, the pilot came over and said, uh, sorry, folks, we have a slight problem. The radar, weather radar system, our plane has gone bad and we can't really take off without this. It's not a great idea. We're going to have to go back to the terminal and get this repaired. And she said the whole place went, uh, kind of groaned as they went back and taxied back to the, um, to the terminal. And while sitting at the terminal, they discovered that the plane had not been refilled. (laughs) And they would have just taken off and flown away with none, hardly any gas. And yeah, they probably could have been a safe ending to that story. We never know. But ultimately, it was a lot better that they came back and discovered fuel problems while on the ground than up in the air. Any pilot will tell you that one right now. And um, God just orchestrated. Her husband, when she called initially to complain about the situation... Her husband said, honey, there's an opportunity here. God's working. Don't worry about it. Relax. Take care. And, um, and so the story proceeds and comes out of that. It's a fascinating thing, the way that God works in our simple lives and the things that he wants to accomplish in our lives and through our lives. Cindy and I were in Germany, and we had been there just about a year. And we were living in a brand new home that was being built um, and the Germans are very detailed people. They take forever to accomplish building contracts and structures and whatever. And there's a lot of good reasons in that. And so our place was full of mud all the time around. The yard just took forever to get done in the garage. Those are the last minute things. As, so we're living in the building that wasn't completely done yet. So we often, to get out and get a little walk, we didn't have a yard, we would push, push a stroller. So we went out one day and we we're going a park it was probably a quarter of a mile from our house i wouldn't say quarter of a mile if i was in germany of course but um and as we we're pushing through we noticed there was a bunch of people throwing a baseball around and they actually had some helmets and gloves and stuff and it i looked at it and i thought they're trying to play baseball so it looks like to me over there and lo and behold the the field they were playing on the path that we were walking on went right through the outfield kind of reminded me of the old houghton baseball field Went up there where the parking lot now for tennis and all that is. There used to be a baseball field up there. We had light poles from the field hockey field, a scoreboard, trees, and a house in our playing area. And the umpires were a riot before the game when they gave the ground rules of the game. So if you hit that pole in the air, what is it again? Double? Okay, that pole's a double. And if it goes over the scoreboard to the left, it's only a single. To the right, it's a double. Over the trees, it's a home run. It was really complicated. I was a catcher, and literally some of those comments were pretty funny to listen to them sort out the ground rules with the Houghton baseball field. And the one in Germany, I felt right at home. I just saw all these things in the middle of this field. Well, the ball came out to me. I picked it up, and I just, I just threw it back into the playing area in the general direction where I thought it should come. Before the ball even got to where it was going, some person just started sprinting right at us. And I thought... It was baseball, not a grenade. What's this all about? You know, I was kind of like, what is this? And the guy ran right up to me and said, my name is Todd Covell in perfect English. I've grown up in Germany. I'm an American and I'm a German. You're an American and you play baseball. (laughs) Well, I did. I'm 32 years old or 33 years old. I used to play baseball. No, 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 no. You play baseball. Will you help us play baseball? And I thought, you got to be kidding me. I was already playing soccer, and we were involved in ministry. I'd just been appointed to become the director of the German work, and there was a ton of stuff going on in our lives. And, uh, you know, we had, I don't know, it was just complicated. And I, I looked at Cindy, and Cindy's like, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, no, no, you know. And so we said, we'll give it a whirl. We'll give it a try and see what happens. And so over the next few months, I would go over and interact with these people, and it was, it was just comical. I could spend all morning just filling this place with laughter with some of the, the 
the things that took place as these young men and women. It was a huge club, one of the largest, today probably the largest, in Germany. And at that time, it was, it was called the Haar, suburb of Munich, Germany, Haar, H-A-A-R, Disciples. I mean, before I got there, they were called the Disciples. And I thought, well, this is really kind of interesting. And... Um, Essentially, we continue to wonder, did God want us to be a part of this ministry? Did we really belong there? And they used me on their reserve team while I assisted in coaching a little bit off and on. But in the spring, that next spring, they hosted what's called the Charlie Brown Tournament. And at that tournament, four different countries, eight teams from all around Europe come together and they play in this tournament. And they had never won the tournament. They had actually gotten to uh, lost all the time, either before the semifinals or in the semifinals, etc. And so they asked if I would just come up and I could pitch. I could only pitch three innings as an American. And, um, and I could catch a whole game, but I couldn't catch two games. And because it was a tournament, the rules were slightly different. But the course of this tournament goes, it was over a, a rainy, rainy, ugly weekend. But they're playing anyway. They don't understand. You don't play that kind of baseball. Well, they're doing it anyway. And um, we actually made it into the semifinals that day. And mom and dad were over there serving at the time. And they had to leave because the game started going to extra innings that we were in the semis against a team from Switzerland. And um, as the game proceeded, the other team had scored a couple runs in the top half of the, these extra innings and it as God would orchestrate and I'm embarrassed to say this but as God would orchestrate the scenario believe it or not there was two out and the bases were loaded and I walked up to the plate and there was well over a thousand people watching they didn't know what they were watching they, they just didn't understand the sport and that's really the truth but they, they saw a lot of beer and they saw a lot of food and a lot of people having a great time running around bases throwing and catching and hitting the ball and they thought this is kind of a cool thing. And so they were just there watching this event and really not understanding the dynamics. But there were a couple of Americans that were there that were cheering us on that we had met. And they were going, oh, come on, Kevin, you can do this, blah, blah, blah. And with, a, with three balls and one strike, I hit a home run. I hit it out of the park, you know. And I was, I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it was an embarrassing thing for me. And I know it doesn't make sense, but it was just, as I ran around the bases, I just thought, Lord, why are you doing this? You know? And uh, as I came around third place, these guys on our team were just ecstatic. They're going like this. You know what I'm thinking? No, I'm not number one. Ego, right? I'm not number one. I'm thinking this. Uh, and they were like this. I said, yeah, yeah. I raised my hand. I get to the plate and one of the Germans, Torsten, who could, they all could speak pretty good English. He goes, no, 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 look in the sky. They're all pointing in the sky. There's this huge rainbow over the field <laughs> and they had known obviously that we were Christians and were there to plant a church and they had learned a lot about God whether they liked it or not in those few months but God gave us a sign I really believe to this day that that goofy scenario and scene that God orchestrated confirmed to both Cindy and I yep baseball go at it I know it's not what you plan to do Kevin but get involved with this and even today Brian right now uh, Matt right now was over in Germany Tom Kellekamp's been over in Germany working over there with a the hard disciples baseball team. And every year for five years that I was involved, they won their championship, moved up a level. Today, they're in the Bundesliga, the highest level of baseball in the country of Germany. And this team and this frying continues to go on. And Brian Reitenauer has contacts, and they're trying to work out possibilities of some more opportunities as these men here graduate and maybe want to get involved in a level of baseball in another country. And God orchestrated and used those events. When Peter was grabbed and held back up, Peter's life changed dramatically, I'm sure. And you just look at, look at the New Testament and the different readings and the stories. And, the, and Peter, was he perfect? No, he messed up off and on as time went on. But God used him continually. Peter sought God. And, and Christ said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and and my righteousness and, and all these things will be added unto you. If you look at that passage in, in Luke chapter 12 and the different pieces that flow through it about Solomon and all his glory wasn't as beautiful as the lilies of the field. And there's a couple key verses in there that basically just tell us we're so much greater and more important and more beautiful to God than anything else. And he really wants us to feel and know how much he cares and loves us. And Peter experienced that in ways that day and on in his life and had a phenomenal and, and a great ministry throughout his life because 
the hand of God continued to work in his life. And Peter allowed. And Peter got in the way sometimes. And, and I get in the way sometimes. And I know you experience times when you get in the way of God, God wanting to work through you or to you or in you. And yet God continues to work and move in our lives and reaching out and helping us to develop. Probably one of the, the, the greatest stories of this, you can go to the Old Testament. And this is kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about this until this morning. It's Father's Day. And look at Jacob in the Old Testament. What, a, what an interesting story that family has. Rachel, he, he goes all these years to work to get Rachel. And he ends up with Leah because he gets snowballed by his future father-in-law and then he gets Rachel finally and then those two just bicker and jealousy and all kinds of crazy things and kids are being born via Leah and Rachel gets disturbed and jealous and so then she sends her maidservant over and there's a couple kids born that way and Leah gets frustrated and so she sends her maidservant over and things happen there and then there's a trading for something that's kind of cool that Leah has that that Rachel wants, and so she trades for that an opportunity for Leah to sleep with Jacob that particular night, and she gets pregnant, has another child, and, and it's just really weird. And eventually, Joseph is born. Happy Father's Day, Jacob, by the way. Um, but eventually, Joseph is born, and later on, Benjamin. And in childbirth, um, Rachel dies. But look at the life of Joseph. Just, just think about what a f- God's work in his life. Here he is. No doubt, spoiled rotten, kind of like I was probably because I was the youngest of four boys. And, um, but spoiled, no doubt, and dad loved Joseph and, and, and uh, the brothers. Yeah, Joseph's okay, dad, but hey, you know. And things you could tell, there's a little bit of an issue between the brothers and Joseph. And most likely it came through the spoiled and he gets all the extra treatment because after all, he is born of Rachel, and that's who he really wanted. So it's his firstborn, really, of the woman who he really wanted. All this other stuff was just kind of baggage in the process of things. And, and I think they picked up on that. And eventually they scheme, and they get rid of Joseph. They kind of sell him off. They were, going to, they were willing to kill him. Fortunately, one of them didn't want to kill him. And they sell him off into slavery. think, done with this. We'll just have to tell Jacob, we'll have to tell Dad, that he actually was killed by animals. But they think that they're rid of the scenario. Joseph, on the other hand... Uh, as a slave, as he gets traded in and gets a part of Potiphar's family, wow, he, he's just a, a good guy. And he hangs in there and he doesn't get bitter or angry. At least we don't know of this happening in his life. And he rises up to the point he becomes the, the head servant of Potiphar's uh, home. And then lustful Potiphar's wife gets involved and tries. She just thinks, man, this guy's hot. <laughs> you know, I got, I got to try to have a good time with this guy. And, and Joseph wants nothing to do with it. And he basically embarrasses her in a sense in a scene. So she screams and yells and cries rape. And he gets in trouble and he's thrown in jail. Again, total innocence, nothing he's done wrong. But he's thrown in jail, and here he goes in the jail. And then after being in jail for a while, the jailer notices, man, Joseph is a good guy. I, I don't know if he did the things they say he did, but he's, he's a good guy. And he builds trust up with the jailer and eventually becomes the head jailed person, <laughs> uh, servant, leader, whatever he is, and he just becomes a, a big deal in there. And all the while, there's a piece of, of Joseph's life we haven't talked much about, and that's dreams. He's been able to interpret dreams. He's had dreams. And he interprets a couple of dreams while he's in jail there with some people from the Pharaoh's um, administration. And eventually, one of those, while being out of jail, the Pharaoh's having some horrible nightmares and dreams. Can't sort things out. Is panicking. And the one, I think it's the cupbearer. I can't remember if one of the two it is. Think, oh, you know what? There's a guy. There's a guy a couple of years back that interpreted our dreams. I, I think he could help you. You know, Pharaoh, I think he could really do something for you. So they send for Joseph. Joseph comes out and interprets the dream. And then the dream is basically going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh's saying, wow, this is amazing. And Joseph says, yeah. And he goes, why would God want me to know that? So you can prepare. You need to get somebody in charge. And he explains why God has probably revealed this to him. He says, you know what, Joseph, you're the man. And he becomes second in power in Egypt. It's just, what a phenomenal thing. From slavery, from a family that didn't want him. And yet the story goes on, we know. That is, the famine does hit years later. And Egypt is prepared and able. And the storehouses are open to help families. And in comes Joseph's brothers. And yeah, he teases and, and kind of pokes around a little bit in that process. 
but he, he hasn't lost any love for his family at all. And they're reunited in a powerful way. And Joseph clearly makes the statement, God had a purpose in all this. Don't worry about it. It's not your fault. There are, God is working purposes in our lives. Even when things don't go the way we want them, like in Joseph's life, God will work purposes. That's who he is. That's how incredible the hand of God is. His ability to, to use you in spite of who you are, in spite of the circumstances that you feel you might be in, God's hand wants to, he wants to be able to move and through. And as you seek him, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Don't, you know, the pagans, they, they're after this stuff all the time. Don't worry about it. I know you need to eat and I know you need to have some clothes. I'll take care of those things. Just seek me. Seek me in my righteousness. Love me. Reach out to me. Grab a hold of me. And I'll provide all these things. And, and beyond your imagination. And he does that. He does that. Joseph could have never thought. I'm not going to say he's never dreamed. But he did dream about being in a high place, didn't he? But I'm sure it didn't, it didn't make sense to him. And yet God placed him in that position in life. And God wants to do the same with you. He wants to put you in positions in your life where you have great success, prosperity and success. Not rich and famous necessarily. Joshua 1.8. You know, meditate on where day and night. Be careful to do all the things that are written in it. And as you do these things, I will make you prosperous and successful. Christ came and said, I want to give them life that they may live it to the fullest. He wants us to enjoy life. Yeah, the world's full of sin and heartache and pain. And we all know that. But God's hand is able to work through those little things and continue to bring glory and honor to him and all the while allowing us to experience things that if we just try to do it on our own and take care of it, and we, we do that, I still do, I get in the way. And in those moments, in spite of that, in Psalm 103, that was another one of the scripture readings. If you look at the middle, Psalm 103, 8 through 20-ish, somewhere in there, in spite of all the sin in our lives, God loves us and he wants to bless us and reach out to us. He's just wanting us to hunger and thirst after him and continue to love him. He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west and he loves us higher than the north and the south. He's just a great thing at the depths of his love and all these things. Um, as, I, as I wrap up and close, um, I think of um, an interesting you know, story. I think I shared this at different times. I don't know if I ever shared it here, but I think it's worth mentioning now. Uh, you know, two, just about two years ago, Caleb was killed in, in a car accident. And it's been a tough couple weeks for me and our family as we've kind of wandered through this process. But one of the things that I just can't forget about the nature of God and the beauty of God and, and the miracle is uh, he was killed on June 5th. And in October, about four and a half, almost five months later, there was a special ceremony being held down in North Carolina in his honor and another Marine, a fellow Marine who was killed as well, not in the same accident. But Caleb, as a, a team leader, and Tom Rivers, a Lance Corporal Tom Livers, <laughs> Livers, Rivers, um, were, I guess, according to Alpha Company, very good team leaders and players. And they created an award down there. And if every four months they give this award out to the Marine who best exemplifies a small team dynamics um, as a Marine, and they get the Caleb Austin Tom Rivers Award. And the very first presentation of this was in October, the end of October. So Cindy and I and Josiah drove down so we could be at this and meet the person who's going to receive the award. Brianna was in school, so she flew down. And on the way down, I thought, you know what? We can go through West Virginia. I, you know, males, we're just kind of goofy, aren't we? And I wanted to go by the accident site. I had to do it. And Cindy was okay with that. And so we went by the accident site. And as I called the state police of West Virginia about the thing, they said, you know, it should work out pretty good. It's under construction down there on that side of the road where the car came to rest. Uh, and they were doing this very gently with me. They weren't just being matter of fact. I'm being matter of fact because we've got time issues. And he said, but I think it can work out for you. And so we drove down and sure enough, we came over into that side of the lane where his car came to rest. Um, he said right about here, he explained what he was the first person there after the accident happened. And, um, and we talked a little bit, kicked around, looked for things. And, you know, you find a piece of glass of this, was that Caleb's car, blah, blah, blah. You know, you do the things, cry, wonder, pray, 
Hopped in our car, drove back, thought about it. Brianna flies in the next day, and then on Monday was the, um, the service, or maybe it was Saturday there was the service, and, uh, and then we had to head back home. And I said as we got in the car, I said, Brianna, if you want, we can go back up through West Virginia if you think you want to go by the accident site. And she said, it won't take that much longer. I said, actually, we don't have to go through D.C. That would be much better. And so we went back up through there. And since I knew where to go, and I knew it was blocked off, I thought nothing of it. And I said, I don't even call the, the police up. So we drove in, got out, and we did the same old thing again. We just kind of wandered around, kicked around on the ground, and thought about things. And, you know, thought, cried, prayed. And I saw Cindy, and she seemed a lot more shaken than last time. And I walked over, and she had in her hand this little white strip of cloth that she dug up off the ground. And she handed it to me with tears streaming on her face, and it said, Corporal Caleb M. Austin. And a part of his sea bag was there with his name right on it. And boy, that, that was like, uh, uh, helped us because it brought a finality. And I thought, Lord, thank you. But I didn't know how significant that was until almost a year later to the day after that accident. Uh, so about a year ago, we had to go down and deal with some court issues in West Virginia. And after it was all finally done, as we're driving back, Sydney said, do you think we have time to stop at the accident site? He said, yeah, we can do it. And no way absolutely impossible and interstate 77 where that accident took place that you could stop and get off safely cars are going 70 miles an hour the the shoulder isn't this wide and then it's sand and rock and grit and dirt and a mess there's no way to do it and we were both kind of frustrated and i said no honey i'm sorry we can't do it and i was almost tearful about it as i drove up the hill i thought what a miracle that in october when we went down construction allowed us to stop and spend time God cares about the little things in our lives. He really, really does. And he knows what you're going through, the wrestling matches uh, that you have to deal with, whether it's family, friends, parents, whatever it might be. God cares. And so as you move through this day and the days to come, never, ever forget. Cast your burden unto Jesus, for he cares for you. Let the hand of God move and work in your life and trust him and seek him with all your heart and he will provide for your needs. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can trust you, that you love us and you care for us. And today, uh, we just want to say thank you for the many, many ways that you do that in our lives. May we never forget. You never leave us. You never, ever forsake us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
Receive the benediction. Go seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and allow him to provide for your every need. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.